Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. We do welcome everyone here. Thank you so much for joining us for our Sunday morning worship service specifically. Uh, But also it is the day we are celebrating Easter this morning. We are also having uh, our baptism service this morning. So a wonderful day. Uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Of course, every Sunday is a good day to be in the house of the Lord, but this was a little extra special. But we come to the part of our service now we call our Scripture-fed, Spirit-led prayer. We're going to look at Romans chapter number 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, starting verse number 8. The Bible says, uh, Now, if we, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ through, through, through unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, as we, we celebrate Easter, uh, it's more than just a, a good day to uh, you know put on your, your Sunday best and put on your your, your church clothes. I know uh, some of you who are, are regulars here are shocked that I'm uh, not in jeans and I'm wearing a, a fancy uh, purplish pastel type colored shirt. Uh, say, why would I do that? Because it's Easter and my wife made me uh, for pictures. Uh, that is why. Uh, but it's more than just a day for pictures and for getting up and having a good time. And a lot of churches do a lot of different things. This is a day that we, we recognize and we remember that Jesus is risen from the grave, but that does more for us than just give us a good day to come to church and dress nice and sing some good songs and eat some chocolate. It, because he conquered death, we no longer as believers have to fear death. Because he conquered death, we as believers are free from the power of sin. Because he conquered death, we have hope and we have eternity with God the Father as his children. That's a wonderful promise God's given us. That yes, he died, and one day, unless the Lord, if he delays his coming, one day every single person in this room will close their eyes in death. Our heart will stop beating, our lungs will stop breathing, our brains will stop functioning. Some of you, that's already happened, but your body's still alive and kicking. Uh, but your, your, your life on earth will end. But as a believer, we don't have to fear death. Because we know that we'll open our eyes in heaven and see Jesus face to face. I think of so many people who we've lost uh, this year who are celebrating their first resurrection day in the presence of the Savior. And I kind of I envy them. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of them because they didn't wake up this morning with frost on their windshield after having 70 degrees all week long and think, man, this is stupid. Uh, why is the world like this? Uh, they open their eyes and they see their Savior and they're singing His glory and they are seeing face-to-face the risen Savior. That's a wonderful promise God's given us. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much for the, the opportunity, the privilege to come together this morning to worship you, to sing praises to you, to come into your presence and, and just, Lord, hear from you. God, we are so thankful this morning that we serve a risen Savior. Lord, I think of so many other religions around the world this morning that, Lord, they're serving dead leaders, that Muhammad's grave is still there, Buddha's grave is still full, but, Lord, Jesus' grave is empty. 
He rose that third day to defeat death, to defeat hell, to defeat the grave for us, to give us eternity in heaven with him. And Lord, we thank you so much for that wonderful truth. Pray that you would be with us now as we come to the preaching time. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would take complete and total control, that, Lord, you would do a work in every single person here this morning, those who are here in person, those who are watching online or who may listen later even, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord. Speak through me. God, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And, Lord, help me not to say what I should not say. But, Lord, have everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children's church program at this time. So children, uh, our children's church workers and children can go ahead and be dismissed. The rest of you, we're going to be looking at the resurrection in John, the book of John. Uh, but we're not going to be looking at the resurrection you think we're going to look at. We're going to look at a different resurrection. Say, why are we going to do that? Because I've been uh, pastoring now for uh, 13 years which means for 13 years I've preached through the gospel and through the resurrection of Jesus, and I want to kind of shake it up a little bit. So we are going to hit the resurrection of Jesus, but we're mainly going to be looking at another resurrection this morning in John chapter 11. So go ahead and get your Bibles open there. Uh, now, of course, this is Easter Sunday, and, uh, but like every other Sunday here at New Grace, we, we gather to worship the risen Savior, to celebrate the fact that Jesus came lived a perfect life, died on the cross uh, for us, absorbed the wrath for our sins, was buried, and rose again three days later to reconcile us to God the Father. Uh, but this morning, of course, worldwide, uh, people recognize Easter. And there's a lot of ways that people celebrate Easter around the world that are interesting, to say the least. Uh, in Australia, instead of giving out chocolate bunnies, uh, they give out chocolate hamsters. Um, yeah, well, yeah, nothing says he's risen like munching on a furry mouse, right? Uh, but then you're like, why are we eat bunnies here in America? What makes us so, you know, why are, why are chocolate bunnies okay, but chocolate hamsters are gross? Uh, now, they're not literally like chocolate-dipped hamsters, you know, it's like our chocolate. We don't literally dip bunnies in chocolate and eat them. Um, but, you know, that, so it's just chocolate-shaped hamsters. In France... Uh, a city in France called Hall, France. I probably pronounced that wrong, but it's French, so who cares? Uh, they celebrate Easter by making every year the world's largest omelet. They take 4,500 eggs and make this gigantic omelet to feed the entire town. Uh, in Papua, Papua New Guinea, uh, chocolate doesn't fare well in that tropical location, the heat, the humidity, so chocolate doesn't do well. So at the end of church services, what the churches do there is they hand out cigarettes to everybody <laughs> to celebrate Easter. Um, in Norway, they, uh, they celebrate Easter by having crime show marathons on TV, and they encourage people to write detective novels just on Easter. I don't, I don't know why they do that. In New Zealand, instead of eating chocolate bunnies, they hunt the Easter bunny. Uh, they have a giant Easter bunny hunt where they, they will kill thousands of rabbits and, in search of the Easter bunny. And so if they found the Easter bunny, they would, would kill him. And of course, in America, uh, we hide eggs from our kids that a rabbit laid for them that is filled with, with chocolate. So we, we have no reason to judge these, why are they handing out cigarettes? Why are we saying mammals lay eggs full of chocolate? Well, you know, nobody's right here. 
The point is, none of that is what Easter is about. Uh, Easter is where we as believers come together, together and we, we celebrate the empty tomb. And this morning as we, we look at and we celebrate the empty tomb of Jesus, I want to look at a different empty tomb. The resurrection we're going to look at this morning, it, it does show us some incredible truths about Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, and so I want you to get your Bibles open to John chapter 11. As we get there, I'm going to start setting the scene. Now, in John chapter 11, Jesus has been traveling around. Uh, he's been teaching. He's been performing miracles. He's healed people. He's raised a couple people from, the, from the, the dead already. But no one has he raised from the grave. Now, people have died, and he's resurrected them from the dead. But people could argue, well, they weren't really dead. They were just kind of sick or asleep. But in this, this instance... No, the, the man he raises from the dead is obviously, legitimately known by everyone to be dead. So he's been, he's been getting some followers and healing and teaching. And then in John chapter 11, he gets some bad news. So look in chapter number 11, verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, of the town, uh, of Bethany the town, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that, Martha, that Mary, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Jesus, is, he's, he's in Jerusalem, he's doing some teaching, and he gets some news that one of his, his most uh, passionate followers, but also one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, is sick. Uh, now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they live in Bethany. It's about two miles from where Jesus currently is in Jerusalem. Now, for whatever reason, Mary and Martha are, are very fearful that Lazarus' sickness is going to, to cause him to die. And it's understandable why. In this time... Uh, the common cold could wipe out a whole village. Uh, and this time, if you got cut by a dirty rock, you, you were dead. I mean, that was it. There was no penicillin. There was no antibiotics. It was like, well, I cut my hand. I guess I'm dead now. And so when Lazarus gets sick, they're like, it's not like us where, you know, you get sick, oh, he's got the sniffles, take some, some Tylenol, take some acetaminophen. Maybe if it's real bad, you'll go to the doctor and get a, a Z-pack or something. It's like, nope, you're sick, you're dead. So they're, they're, they're afraid Lazarus is going to die. He's getting sicker and sicker. And so they send word to Jesus to tell, them, to tell him that Lazarus is sick because they know Jesus can heal him. Jesus can take away the sickness. Jesus can do whatever. But they also know Jesus loves him. So they assume, man, we're gonna, Jesus is going to hear that his, one of his dearest friends, one of his closest followers is sick, and he's going he's gonna to drop everything and take care of this. Now, they know Jesus will help because they, they've seen him help strangers. They've seen him heal men and women that he, did, he knew nothing about, he had no relationship with. They've seen him heal the woman with the issue of blood who just touches the hem of his garment, he heals her. They've, they've heard about him raising the centurion's servant who's sick, and he doesn't know the servant, he doesn't know the centurion, but he just he does it anyway. So, like, man, he heals, he heals strangers Surely, he's going to heal Lazarus because he knows him. He loves him. And they know Jesus can, 
can easily heal him. This isn't, you know, this is Jesus we're talking about. He doesn't have to drop everything, run to Lazarus' side, get a bunch of weird ingredients together to make some potion to therefore hopefully heal him. Jesus, from wherever he is in the world, can simply say, Lazarus be healed. And guess what? Lazarus will be healed. Because he's done this before. In Matthew 13, a centurion's servant is sick, and the centurion comes to him and says, my servant is sick, and Jesus even says, okay, let's go to your house, and I'll heal him. And the centurion says, you don't need to come to my house. You're, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. You can heal him from here. And so Jesus speaks right where he's at, and the centurion's servant, who is far away, is healed immediately. So Jesus could have easily taken care of this problem, but he doesn't. He tells his disciples, it's not that bad. It'll be okay. He'll be fine. So he sends word back saying he'll be fine because, you know, he's not sick to death, but what he is going through is for God's glory. Now, this is not what Mary and Martha uh, wanted. It's not what they expected. But again, you know, you send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You get word back where Jesus says he's not going to die. Everything's going to be okay. You may not be happy whether he didn't just heal him, but you're like, well, you know, Jesus said he'll be fine. So I'm sure he'll be fine. Look at verse number five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then again, after he saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then, his, then his, said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So after hearing Lazarus is sick, he sends word back to his sister saying he's not going to die. Uh, he'll be fine. It's for God's glory. And then he, he stays where he's at in Jerusalem for two days. Then he even goes further and says, let's go to Judea. And his apostles are like, but, you know, we're going to get stoned there. They don't like us there. They've already tried to kill you there. Are you sure this is the best way to go? And Jesus gives them a little example. But then a little while later he goes, okay, let's go see Lazarus now because Lazarus is asleep. Now his apostles think, well, if he's sleeping, shouldn't we let him sleep? I mean, he's sick. The best thing for you when you're sick is, is rest. So they're like, well, Jesus, if he's sleeping, you know, let the man sleep. You know, don't be waking him out of it. That's just, that's rude. Let him get some rest. And finally, Jesus has to, because these guys never understood anything, he has to say, Lazarus is dead. And we're going to see dead Lazarus. And it's a good thing I wasn't there because now you can see an incredible miracle performed by God. So Jesus tells him that he's dead, and he's going to do an incredible miracle. Then look at verse number 17. <clears throat> then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave 
four days already. Now, this is vital because uh, he's been dead for four days. Now, again, ancient times, they, they didn't really have the medical technology we did, so it's not like he was in a coma. Uh, it's not like he was just really, really sick. Uh, he's been dead. His body has been prepared. This is past the three days of the Jewish tradition of a burial. So Jesus, Lazarus, has been dead for a while. There's, there's no doubt in anyone's mind Lazarus is dead. They've watched him for a couple days, and now he's been in the grave for four days. So they know for sure Lazarus has died. Uh, and Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, 14 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thou, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe thou this. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the God, which had come into the world. So Jesus, he, he finally shows up way late. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. Now again, according to Jewish tradition, you had to sit with the body for several days before you've, you've been in the grave. So he's been dead a while. And he finally shows up. Mary and Martha, they are, they are just so distraught by what's happened to Lazarus. I mean, put yourself in their position. They, they are are great friends with Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. They've worshipped Jesus ever since he's been, in, been, been doing his ministry. They believe he is God. They send word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. Jesus sends word back, don't worry about it. He's not going to die. Then he does die. They're inconsolable. The whole community is out there trying to comfort them because they've lost their brother. Then when Jesus shows up, uh, Mary won't even go out to see him. But Martha does. And Martha goes to him and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have showed up when I needed you, then my brother wouldn't be dead. Now, we're not sure if this was because they were angry, she's accusing Jesus, or if it's a statement of faith. Like, I know he's dead, but Lord, I know, I know you could have done something. But for whatever reason, she is, she is just, just letting Jesus have it. Whatever the case, Jesus is finally there. And he's got two heartbroken sisters and his apostles. And that's where we're going to pick up. Look again, skip down to verse number 32 in chapter number 11. Chapter, verse 32. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down on his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Again, kind of accusing him. Well, you, you could have done something. Why didn't you care about what I was going through. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then they said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of blind have caused even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, 
Take you away the stone. And Martha, the sister that of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then when they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou heardest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said, said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now this isn't the, again, this isn't the first resurrection in Scripture. It's not even the first resurrection Jesus has performed. It's the, it's the most incredible one because it's the one that's, that's been, Lazarus has been dead the longest. Everyone else who he's raised from the dead, they've been dead maybe a couple hours, so people kind of dispute, well, they weren't really dead. They, you know, they were just really, really sick, and people thought they were dead, but they came back. This one, Lazarus, is obviously dead. And he prays to God and says, God, I'm, I'm only praying out loud so people know that you are doing this through me. So it's not the first resurrection, but it is the most detailed account of a resurrection we get in Scripture before the resurrection of Jesus. And this story, it gives us hope for, for all believers, incredible truth. And I want to see three lessons that we get from this story. The first lesson we see is Jesus cares about our brokenness. Look around our world, and you can see that our world is broken. We have suffering. We have hatred. We have division. We live in a messed up, broken world. We not only live in a fallen world, but we are surrounded by broken, fallen people. Look at the headlines and you see protests. Not just, not just in our country, all across the world. There are protests now in France because they're trying to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. And I know here in America where retirement is like, heh, no. Uh, we're like, what are you complaining about? But they got it different over there. But they're, they're protesting and they're burning, they're burning things on the street and there's, there's riots going on. We have protests in our country. Israel right now is on the brink of a civil war with the protests going on there because of all the issues that they're going through in their government. You just look at our world and you think, man, this place is messed up. We're a broken people living in a broken world. War, school shootings, and when we see these things, people tend to ask the same question. If there is a God, why doesn't he care about what we're going through? If there is a God, and he loves us, like the Bible says he loves us, and he, he claims to be a loving heavenly father. And, and, you know, you're like me. You're like, I'm a father, and I want to make sure my kids don't have to suffer pain. I go out of my way to make sure that they're protected and they're safe and they're, they're, they're not going through difficult times and suffering. And I do everything I can to make their lives wonderful and happy and joyful. Give them anything they want. And if, if I'm a wicked earthly father and I can do that for my kids and God claims to be a perfect heavenly father, why is there so much hurt in my life? Why is there so much pain in my life? Why am I going through the things that I'm going through? If God really cares, why is he allowing this to happen to me? Is God making us, you know, we made the mess? So we got to kind of God's up in heaven going, well, you know, I love you, but you, you made your bed, now lie in it. Or does he just not care that we hurt? 
The Bible tells us that God is a loving Heavenly Father. He is a perfect Father. And again, as I said, as a father, as a parent, when your child is hurting, do you ignore them? Do you mock them? Now, I do, but that's just because it's funny sometimes. You know, my kids, when they do something stupid, and, you know, they do something dumb and hurt themselves, when you make sure that they're not, it's not a fatal injury, you're like, okay, you're not going to die, you're fine, great. Did you learn anything from that? Did, you, you didn't? Okay, we're going to do this again. So I like to kind of, you know, tease them a little bit. It helps make, you know, helps them feel better, and if not, helps me feel better. But when your kids are hurting, you don't, you don't mock them. You don't ignore them. You, you want to do whatever you can to take away their pain. But if we're honest, it seems like sometimes God sees our pain. And he says, well, serves you right. You had it coming to you. You should have listened to me or you should have done what I asked you to do. See, the good news is that if we doubt God's love for us, if we doubt the fact that God cares for us, God can handle it. Look again at verse number 32. <clears throat> then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell on his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. Now, does your Bible say he got really angry and mad that they didn't believe him? No. If it does, you've, you've, I don't know what you've got, but it ain't the Bible. It says, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Verse 35 is, you know, it's, it's every Awana kid's favorite Bible verse because it's the shortest in the Bible. And you can just quote it. Every, what, what's your memory verse? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And they love that until you say, okay, name the, you know, the reference. Uh... Don't know, but I know we wept. It's not just the shortest verse in the Bible. It shows us the heart of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus is 100% God. But he's also 100% man. As a man, he experienced pain. He experienced temptation. He experienced hunger. Now as God, he's all-knowing. He knows He's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. He knows that, yes, his friend is dead, but not for long. His friend is dead to prove a point, and I'm here now, and he's going to come out of that grave in a few minutes, and it's not going to be, everything's going to be fine. So he knows that Lazarus is coming back. So why is he crying? You know, we know that he, 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 he knew what he was going to do because he told his disciples, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And they're like, well, if he's sleeping, he's like, no, 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 let me, he's dead, I'm going to bring him back. So he knew what was going to happen, so why is he so moved that he's crying? He's not crying because of Lazarus. He's crying because of Mary and Martha and those that are around him. Not because he's mad at them or he's hurt that they don't trust him. He is crying because people he loves are hurting. He cares about their pain. He weeps when we weep. He understands pain that we face in life. He sees Mary. He sees Martha. He sees their pain. So he weeps for them. 
he, his heart breaks for them. Now, this isn't some, you know, Jesus wept and he's kind of sitting there stoically with one little tear trickling down his cheek. When you, and I'm going to show you this. When you look at it in the original Greek, it's like he's ugly crying. Snot barreling. Ooh, you know, you ever, you know, he's crying like, like your kid does when they drop their ice cream cone. Life is over, just snot coming out everywhere, ugly cry. This is a, this is a, he is brokenhearted for what's going on. He cries so hard that those around him look at him and say, man, look how upset he is. He must have really loved Lazarus. You don't say that with someone stoically one tear. No, no, no. He's weeping over what happened. That's another good reason that, you know, uh, I'm not Jesus. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a real good Jesus. You know, I see people hurt. I see people suffering, and I feel bad for them. But I don't really, I don't really cry for them. You know, I only cry a few times in my life. I, I cried when UVA won the national championship in basketball. <laughs> Ugly snot crying. I cried tears of joy when the women's basketball, Virginia Tech basketball was eliminated from the Final Four. Again, I cried tears of joy. Thank God I'm going to hear them talk about how great they are. You know, so I cried there, but I don't cry when, when people hurt. You know, I can, I can be very indifferent to the pain of other people, especially when I think they brought it upon themselves. You know, as a pastor, I've had people come to me with issues like, hey, what can I do? Or this is a problem I'm facing, and I, I'll take them through Scripture, and I'll give them Bible, and I'll, I'll give them advice and say, this is what you've got to do. This is the steps you need to take. This is how to fix this problem you're in. This is how to repair your marriage. This is how to conquer this sin. And they do not do anything I say, and usually times do the exact opposite, and then come back to me later and say, I didn't do what you said. I did the opposite. I'm still hurting. And me, as a man, says, told you so. Why am I going to care? You didn't listen to me. Why am I going to care about what you're going through when I tried to help you? You didn't listen. Now you're suffering what you got. That's why I'm not, a, I'm not God. I would be a terrible God. Because people come to me, I messed up God. I'm like, well, yeah, you did. Tough luck. Learn from your mistakes. But Jesus is heartbroken over what we've gone through. In Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says, For we do, not have, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in every sense tempted like we are. Jesus identifies with your pain. He sees your brokenness. He sees your hurt that you're dealing with because lack of faith in your life. And he sympathizes. He identifies. He cares about your hurt. But it goes deeper than that. Look at verse 33 again. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping with, with her, weep, weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. His spirit is troubled by the pain that they're going through. Now, Jesus, as God, is part of the Trinity. He was there. He was, he was the one who, when the Bible says in Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and poof, there was light, we learned in the New Testament that Jesus was the one that said, let there be light. He is the creative force in the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were all there at the very beginning. Jesus knows what creation was supposed to be like. He knows there's not supposed to be death. There's not supposed to be loss. 
There's not supposed to be this, this pain. And he is troubled by what sin has done to his creation. He's mad at sin, and he's mad at death and what it's done to his creation. Sin into the world through Adam and Eve, and has been a part of creation ever since. Romans 5.12, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death has spread to all men, because all have sinned. He is weeping for more than just Lazarus. He is weeping for more than just Mary and Martha and what they're going through. He is weeping over what sin has done to every single one of us. He is weeping over our brokenness. He weeps over the brokenness of his friends and the brokenness of the world. He, he is the, he, he, and here's the best part. He doesn't just weep. He doesn't just look at the pain and say, man, that stinks. He does something about it. He doesn't offer thoughts and prayers. He cares about our brokenness and he does something. Here's the second truth we see. Jesus overcomes our brokenness. Now look, on a, on a basic level, you, you, you remove everything, you get down to just a very basic level. What's, what's Lazarus' real problem? Same problem we all face. Same problem we're all scared of. Death. Look, we go to extremes to try to prolong our lives. Eat certain foods. Avoid other foods. Wear seatbelts. When we're in the car, some people will run for exercise, even though the Bible strictly prohibits it. The Bible says a wicked man runs when no one pursues. The Bible says bodily exercise profits little. So look, if you're running down the street and ain't nobody chasing you, Bob, God says you're wicked. That's why I don't run unless someone's chasing me. So if you see me running, something bad doesn't happen. But you know, we, we run, we exercise, we, we take medicine, we go to the doctors. I went to the doctor this, this week uh, for my, my yearly physical. And, of course, you know, I go see him. He's poking and prodding and asking questions. And now I'm at the age where I've got to have a colonoscopy. Yay for me. We go through all this stuff. And, look, I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying, well, no, you know, don't wear your seatbelt and fly down the highway at 90 miles an hour. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, you know, just eat you know, bacon cheeseburgers, you can, here's a good thing, you have free will. You want to eat bacon cheeseburgers every day, every meal for the rest of your life? You can. Just know the rest of your life's not going to be very long. Uh, so we do all these things to kind of prolong our life, to make it better, and we should because, again, our, our bodies and our lives are a gift of God, and we are to steward, steward them. But here's the thing. Now, no matter how hard you work out, how much kale you eat, how much carrot juice you drink, how much bad stuff you avoid, no matter what you do, everyone is going to die. There is a 100% death rate in the world. No one's escaping it. I saw this week that Vogue had a 106-year-old woman on their, their, their model, their cover model. She was the oldest Vogue cover model, beating the last model, I think, who was, you know, 18. So, very old, but, you know, she's 106. Like, look at this 106-year-old woman. And look, you look at her, and you're like, she doesn't look 106, but here's the thing. She's not going to live forever. She's going to physically die one day. There's nothing we can do 
to escape death. One day, unless the Lord comes back, every single one of us will find ourselves in Lazarus' shoes. You know, Ben Franklin famously said, nothing is certain except death and taxes. And guess what? Tax day's coming next week, folks. So we know this is true. But here's the thing. We can escape death. Look at verse number 38 again. Jesus, therefore, groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now imagine again, me and Martha and Mary. Your brother's been dead and buried for four days. You've, you've never seen a dead person come back to life. And again, in this time, there wasn't embalming. There wasn't refrigeration. So when you were, and it's a desert region, you ever, in the summertime, you know, smell a dead animal on the side of the road? There, that's, that's what Lazarus is like right now. Martha's like, uh, he's ripe by now, Jesus. Don't open that cave because surely he stinks. And so um, earlier when Jesus finally showed up, she accused him. She goes, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus, his response was to tell her, you know, I know that he's dead. I know you blame me for not being here, but don't worry, he's going to rise again. And Mary, Martha misunderstood him. She thought he meant the resurrection in the final days. And so she thought he was talking about a future resurrection. Jesus, you know, he often taught in parables, and so she assumed he was talking about the final resurrection of the believers. So she doubted him. And we know she doubted him, because when he says, roll the stone away, she says, that's not a great idea. He's, he's ripe by now. Best is just to, to leave him there. And that gives us encouragement. If one of Jesus' closest followers can doubt him, and he doesn't blast her or condemn her or rebuke her, it's okay when, when we doubt him. Look at verse number 40. <clears throat> Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. He doesn't condemn her for her doubts. He encourages her. Look. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. So you can have faith and still have doubts. If there was never doubt, there would be no reason to, have, to need faith. So doubters are welcome to come to Jesus with their doubts. Her doubts come from the same place that our does. Brokenness in her life. Her worst fear had come true. Her brother had died. He wasn't an old man. He's just gone. And Jesus had let it happen. He could have done something, but he didn't. They thought he showed up too late. And that's how they, that's how they felt. Look at verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused even this man that he should not have died? So even those that are with him are like, man, this guy, he, he could have healed anybody. Why didn't he heal his friend? But his delay wasn't because he didn't care. He's deeply moved by what they're going through. So if he's so moved, why would he delay? The answer is because of his prayer in front of the tomb. Look at verse 41 again. <clears throat> then they took away the stone <clears throat> from the place where the dead laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou heardest me, that thou hearest me always, but because of the people 
which stand by, I said that they, which, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. See, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. Allowed Mary and Martha to go through that pain because he wanted them to believe and understand that he was sent by God. That he was sent to make people who are dead alive. And the same is true for us today. He wants us to believe that he has power to overcome sin, to overcome death, and to overcome hell for us. That's why Jesus waited to go to Lazarus. He had a purpose for allowing him to die. That was what Jesus' resurrection is all about, proving that he could conquer our greatest enemy. That's the message of Easter this morning. That's what we see in John 11. Easter is the answer to the three biggest problems that we cannot fix on our own. We cannot overcome sin on our own. We cannot defeat death on our own. And we cannot escape hell on our own. What Jesus did for Lazarus physically, he offers to us spiritually. There are no limits to his grace. There is no situation which he cannot overcome. There is no one too far gone that he can't reach them. Jesus did for Lazarus what Lazarus could not do for himself. And that's what he's doing for everyone today that puts their faith in his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sins. He died to pay a debt we, he didn't owe because we had a sin debt we could never pay. Sin had doomed us, had made us hopeless and helpless. We were guilty and deserving of hell. And Jesus rescued us. When we didn't know we needed to be rescued. He rescued us. We didn't even ask Him to do it. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, absorbed our sin so that we, wretched, vile, deserving sinners, could receive His righteousness. The resurrection of Lazarus points us to the resurrection of Jesus and the power that he has. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 15, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus cares about our brokenness, and he got involved. He came, lived that perfect, sinless life, died in our place, absorbed the wrath of God for our sins, was buried, and rose again to do something about it. But here's the thing. You can agree with everything I just said and still go to hell because, number three, Jesus demands a response from us. This story isn't primarily about Lazarus. It's not about death. It's about pain that we face in life. It's about Jesus and the truth that he cares about your brokenness. He cares about your pain. It's about Jesus who wants to be involved in your life. It's about Jesus and how he came to rescue you.
It's about His love for you and His desire to rescue you from death, hell, and the grave. What John chapter 11 is doing, it is showing us our future when we put our hope and our faith in Him alone. See, Lazarus' death and burial and his resurrection were a shadow of Jesus' death and resurrection that would come. It was a preview of what he would do and what is available to all of us. But listen to what he said in Martha to Martha in chapter uh, 11, verse 25. Sorry, my page is stuck together here. <clears throat> Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he says, Believest thou this? He didn't ask her, do you agree with what I just said? He said, do you believe what I've just said? See, one of the saddest things in the world is someone who can hear the gospel, can agree that Jesus did for them what they never did, but they never put their faith in him. Intellectually say, yeah, that makes sense. But they never believe it. They never put their faith in him. Here's what I'm talking about. Too many people are fans of Jesus, but they're not followers. They like what he teaches. Love, acceptance, peace, that's all good. But they don't put their faith in him. Jesus is more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Here's the thing. Heaven is not for people who don't want to go to hell. It is for people who surrender to Jesus for salvation, who put their faith in His death, His burial, and His resurrection as payment for their sins, believing that He did what they could never do for themselves, and He alone can save them, and putting their faith and trust in Him to heal their brokenness. Faith is more than just intellectually agreeing with something. It's belief that moves you to obedience. Belief is evidenced by obedience to God. Belief in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sins requires a response. You know, this morning, maybe you're here, and you can identify with Mary and Martha. Maybe you're struggling because someone you love is, is suffering. Someone you love is struggling. Maybe you feel like they did, that Jesus just isn't showing up on time. He doesn't care. He's not getting involved. And maybe, maybe that's, if that's you, you can be encouraged. Because here's the thing. While Jesus rarely shows up early, he never shows up late. He never shows up too late to do anything. He's not indifferent to the pain that we're going through. He's not indifferent to those, the pain of those who seek refuge and comfort in him. When you are hurting, God hurts. When you weep, Jesus weeps. Maybe you're like Lazarus this morning. Your problem is that you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins. But here's the good news of Easter. Jesus is able to save you, to bring you back, to do for you what you could never do for yourself. There's no question about it. The only question is,
do you truly believe? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.